Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Again, I am so glad finally to be able to reveal the theme, Add to Your Faith. I've really been working on this, praying on this since about July of last year. And you say, Pastor, does it take a long time to come up with a theme? Not necessarily. It's really about being sensitive to the Lord and trying to pray and ask Him what He would want us to have as a point of emphasis in the next year. And not just for us as a church, because remember, a church is a collective body of people. So when we have a theme that is for a church, it is really a theme that is for each of us individually because the church will only grow as we individually grow in the Lord. And last year, our theme for 2023 forward was such a blessing in so many ways. And again, as I look out across the crowd here today, and it is a crowd that we have here today, and I know it's a Baptist crowd because we have extra chairs in the back and the front rows are empty. That's how we know it's a Baptist crowd. I mean, that's, oh, sorry, Sam, you count. But, uh, but other than Sam, <laughs> the front rows are empty. But uh, it is, it's, it's incredible to be able to look out across the group today and see how the Lord has blessed Liberty Baptist Church over the past 12 months and even beyond that. But when we talk about going forward in 2023, many of you took steps forward in your walk with Christ over the past year. Maybe you're back in church after not being in church for a while. And 2023 was a time for you to get back in the house of God. Hey, you moved forward last year. That's a blessing. Uh, maybe you read your Bible in 2023 and you'd never read your Bible or read through your Bible before, but last year encouraged you to be able to have that in your own life. If that's the case, you moved forward last year. Perhaps you grew in a ministry that you've never served in before. And we have several people serving in new ministries here at Liberty Baptist Church. You moved forward. And maybe uh, there's personal spiritual victory in one of those months. Remember, we had 12 different months of emphasis and we looked at different things each month. Maybe one of those months, the Lord really spoke to your heart about a point in your life where you needed to grow, whether it was in prayer or whether it was financial stewardship or, or whether it was in revival. And the Lord really spoke to you in a very specific way last year. That's moving forward. And I'm thankful that as a church, we've collectively moved forward. I can't think of anything else as I look across this crowd today. But again, the individual lives that move forward, it's undeniable over the last 12 months. It's evident that we both individually and collectively move forward. But the question is, where does that take us? Are we done moving forward? Did we just move forward for a year and that's it? And then go backwards? Well, no, the answer is absolutely not. God forbid it, that we just have an emphasis to move forward for 12 months and then not continue that desire to serve the Lord in a greater capacity over the next year. And so that's why I think this theme is so important because add to your faith is almost forward again. Add to your faith is really in many ways forward part two because the idea is as you're adding to your faith, you're continually moving forward. And so I want us to begin looking at this text and boy, I'll tell you, there's so much here in these verses. We won't get to it all this morning and this afternoon, but it's my desire over the next 12 months to preach through the books of first and second Peter, as well as really digging into this text that we have here first before doing that. And to really get an understanding of what God has for us as Peter is writing to people who are living in very difficult times. Can anyone relate? 
he's writing to people who live in some very difficult times and he's giving them some very specific instruction in how to live when religion, quote unquote, is going crazy, when the government is going crazy, when people's individual lives are going crazy. Peter gives some very specific instruction in these two books of how we can navigate that. And I can tell you this, it's only more relevant in 2024, not less, as we look at these issues. And I pray that we're able to add to our faith this coming year. Will you stand please for the reading of God's word? Second Peter chapter number one, and we'll read the first nine verses. And this really is one message in two parts. You have to come back again this afternoon. That's why we have the, the uh, well, you don't have to. We're not going to make you. But I will say it would behoove you to be able to because you'll get the full idea of this text from not just the preaching this morning, but then after a good lunch this afternoon, and then we'll be heading home. So First Peter, or Second Peter, rather, chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. It's quite a list, isn't it? Add to your faith sounds good until you start reading some of those and say, oh, that's what adding to my faith actually means. It's serious. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Would you be seated as we pray together this morning? Heavenly Father, you know that my thoughts are in many different directions with this theme, a text that I've been thinking about and praying about now for months. I pray that you would help guide my mind, what needs to be said, May your word be what's preeminent this morning, not my presentation, not anything else of that nature. Lord, it's your word that changes lives. Lord, there's some here who need to add to their faith this morning. Lord, there's others who have no faith to add to, and they need salvation. I pray that whatever the need is today, that your Holy Spirit would help each heart be able to discern what is necessary for them to leave here different than they came this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in such a rich passage of Scripture, and I can tell you that just these nine verses, there is so much for us to look at and to consume and to meditate upon. I think we need to begin at the beginning by looking at verse number one and considering who is writing these words for us here today. And in this verse, we see that we're looking at Simon Peter. Simon Peter! You know Peter from the epistle, or rather from the uh, uh, Gospels, and you know Peter as one of the disciples. And Peter was a man who had a lot of ups, but he had a lot of downs, didn't he? He had a lot of good days, but he especially had a lot of bad days in the Gospels. But here is a man 
who has moved forward in his life. Here is a man who has added to his faith over years, and he is grounded and settled in such a way that he is now able to teach us as believers 2,000 years later. You want to talk about growth. Here's a man who's able to teach us about things in our faith when it seemed like his faith was unstable as water back in the Gospels. But he introduces himself right here in verse number one by saying this, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I do think it's interesting that he introduces himself first as a servant and then as an apostle. It would seem that it would be opposite, wouldn't it? They were only 12 apostles. Uh, there are many servants. In fact, God's called us all to be a servant. But Peter understood something unique about the Christian life, and that was this, that it was more important for him to be a servant than to be an apostle. In fact, for him to be an apostle, he had to be a servant. This was what the key to the Christian life, or one of the keys to the Christian life is, is understanding our position in Christ, understand that even as we are saved, that we are servants. And this is God's desire for us. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 9, 35, and he sat down and called the 12 and saith unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. I think we forget that sometimes. Many of us have quoted the first shall be last and the last shall be first. I think many of us are familiar with that. In fact, I think some who've never been in church are familiar with the saying. But at the same time, Jesus wasn't simply saying that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But he's also saying this, that we are to be servants of all. And so here's Peter who understands his position. He's one of those 12 apostles. There were only 12 of them. But yet at the same time, he says, before I introduce myself as an apostle, let me tell you what my most important position is. And that's a servant. That humility is necessary. May I remind you that if we are not humble before God and we're not humble before Him in our needs of who we are, that we can't even really take in what we have here this morning if we can't look at ourselves truly and rightly before God as servants as He's called us to be. Charles Spurgeon said of this verse, he says, If you simply take the name of Christ upon you and call yourself His servant, Yet do not obey him, but follow your own whim or your own hereditary prejudice or the custom of some erroneous church. You are no servant of Christ. If you are really a servant of Christ, your first duty is to obey him. And we must realize this morning that it's not just to trust, but it's to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The life of a servant is a life of obedience. Why? Because the servant has a master. And if you are saved this morning, you do have a master, and that is Jesus Christ. And so as we look at these things today, we must recognize in our own life, there are some areas in our life where we need to grow. There are some areas in our life where we need to add to our faith. And I think that's why this is so important for us today. But yet, putting all of that aside for a moment, Paul is addressing those who read the epistle. Now again, when I say this is an epistle, it's a letter. It was a letter that was written to, ch to churches and to Christians. And any letter says who it's from and who it's going to. I mean, that's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, even if you're not really paying attention, you would know that that's true, isn't it? That you, every letter has a person that's sending it and a person who's receiving it. Well, Peter introduces himself as the one who's writing the letter, and of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit as he writes it. But as the human author, the human penman, we see that. But then he addresses those who he's writing it to. And look at what he says in verse number one. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I'm an apostle, but more importantly, I'm a servant. And I'm writing this to people who have obtained like precious faith. 
Can I remind you this morning, if you are saved, your faith is precious. If you're born again, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your faith is precious. You know, the world calls metals precious. The world calls rocks precious. There are precious works of art made with brushes and paint and canvas. But I would submit to you this morning, there is nothing more precious than you can ever own. There is nothing more precious that you can ever obtain than the like precious faith that Peter talks about here in chapter number one of the epistle of uh, 2 Peter. In fact, it's so precious, you can't achieve it on your own. It's so precious, you couldn't buy it on your own. I don't care who's on the Forbes list of having billions of dollars, but they can't buy this faith. It's so precious that it can only come through, what does it say here? The righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That's how precious it is. By the way, this isn't my message, but it's a good reminder for us today that Peter, right off the bat, Peter, right in verse number one, affirms the deity of Jesus Christ. He affirms Jesus Christ as God. The cults would tell you that the Bible doesn't say so. The cults would tell you that Jesus never talks about himself being God, nor does anyone else affirm him to be God. Well, Peter didn't seem to have that problem because he spent three years with him and he said this, the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Meaning what? That Jesus Christ is the Savior and that Jesus Christ is God. Affirming his deity. It was obtained through this, this precious faith, through His righteousness. Could we even put it this way? It's precious faith because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's precious faith because of the precious blood. And no, that's not just me saying that. Peter said that. 1 Peter 1, verse 19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. Uh, he is God, we see here, and it was His righteousness that brought us salvation. Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, unto everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, meaning the Jew and the Gentile, meaning this, everyone. But verse 17 continues, For therein is the righteousness of God, Remember, we just saw that here, the righteousness of God, verse 1. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So our salvation is not by our good works. Our salvation is not by our deeds. Our salvation is not by how much money we have in the bank. Our salvation is not by how, how uh, we perceive a church membership or whether we were sprinkled as a baby or whether we took of the Holy Communion. Uh, none of these things. are. The Bible says it's the just shall live by faith. That's in faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And do you realize this, how incredible it is this morning that we've been given the opportunity to obtain this precious faith, not in our own accolades or attainment, but on the account of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That ought to even make a Baptist say amen. It didn't, but it ought to. I was close. The precious faith that we have was obtained for us by Jesus Christ, who, who, who for the joy that was set before him took the cross and the shame so that we could be reconciled back to the Father again. Think about this. Do you consider your faith to be precious? Is it a priority or does it take the back seat? Is it something that you think about a lot or is it something that you think about on Sunday? Is it something that you consider during the week 
or is it something that you consider when you need help? See, because something that's a pre that's precious is a priority. Something that's precious is protected. Something that's precious is priceless, and we treat it as such. I mentioned in Sunday school today I was having some difficulty with my computer, and so I had to take it to the store to uh, get fixed, and of course they didn't fix it, but, uh, well, it was a fun trip nonetheless. And so as we were out, we went to um, uh, Baptist Heaven. It's also called Chick-fil-A. Um, okay, not quite. I I'm exaggerating a little bit. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, so we, we went to, we to Chick-fil-A. and We went inside, and it was just me and A.J. and Peyton. And, uh, you know, when you go out with, with the little ones, it's always a production, isn't it? Because you can't just get to the table. Wouldn't it just be able to just get to the table and sit down and enjoy a meal, Norman Rockwell style? I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful? Uh, but no. Uh, no. That's not what happened. Uh, we, we had to get to the table. Then we had to pick the right table because they wanted the high top table, not the regular table. And then they weren't sitting in the right chairs. So then we had to play musical chairs getting around. Then we had to make sure that we got the napkins and everything. And it required us jumping off those high chairs and coming back up over and over and over again. And it's just like, could I just get the food? And the food came. And it was a blessing. I mean, it was. It was Chick-fil-A. It was good. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was excellent. Uh, and we're eating, and I realize something. I look out because we're sitting right next to uh, the windows, and I look out in the van, and I remember my computer's still in the van, and I left the van unlocked. That's not good. But do you know how much work it took me to settle them into those chairs in the first place? Say, well, Pastor, why don't you just take them outside? They're in the middle of eating their chicken nuggets. They're in the middle of the waffle fries. They're in the middle of, I know it's going to be a difficulty to get them outside. So I had to make a decision. What am I going to do? Yeah. I left the kids and oh, I'm just kidding. Right, so, um, <laughs> it saddens me that some of you aren't sure what the end of that story was. All right. Uh, <laughs> no, you know what I said? You know what's more precious? the kids. You know what? I'm, gonna sit, I'm, I'm not going to leave my children sitting at the table by themselves and go out to the car and lock it up and come back. I had to determine what was most precious in that moment. I'll be honest with you, it wasn't a difficulty. It wasn't a hardship. I can get another computer. But it was very clear to me and very evident to me what was most precious. And what I worry about for our Christian life is if we're not careful, our faith becomes the one that's not thought of. Our faith becomes the one that's left to the side when all the other quote-unquote priorities of life take place. But can I tell you that it's faith that makes all of those things right in our life. It's faith that makes all of those things better. And when we constantly get to the point where we take this precious faith and put it off to the side, what ends up happening is we get life out of balance and many of you have got to the point in your life where you felt that life that's out of balance, that you're a Christian, but at the same time, because you don't have that high regard for that precious faith that was so highly attained for you through the blood of Jesus Christ, that it ends up getting put to the side, and we wonder why everything seems out of whack. And we wonder why the priorities aren't what they need to be. Oh, I love Jesus, but I really love... We've got to be careful. It's precious. That faith is precious. And I mentioned this just a few moments ago, and I'll say this again, because I know I'm speaking to those who are believers, and I know I'm preaching to those who know Jesus Christ, their Savior, but I want to say this very emphatically this morning. 
is that you can't add to your faith if you're not in the faith. That none of this is relevant if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so I just want to clear off a spot just for a moment and say to you, if, if you're not sure that you're going to go to heaven when you pass from this life, if you're not sure of where you would spend eternity, I want you to know a few things. Eternity is real. Heaven and hell are real. There are real choices that must be made. But yet Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so that by calling upon him to save you, you can have eternal life with him. But you can't add to this. By the way, you can't take some of those virtues that you just saw in these verses here and try to incorporate them into your life to become good enough to get to heaven. Because that's not what's being asked here. That's not what's being told. No, this, this was obtained to us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can obtain salvation on your own if you have righteousness equal to that of Jesus Christ. Without it, you're not going to make it. And the bad news is, none of us are going to make it. Because none of us have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But yet, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We have precious faith this morning. But I also see this. We have precious promises that are given to us as well. Did you notice that in these verses? Look at verse number four. Precious promises, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That word great there in the Greek is the word megastos, which means the greatest or very great. It's where we would get the term mega today. Mega. So, so think about this. The, the Bible tells us that we are given, when, when you are in the faith, when you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you are also then given, because it says given unto us. Who? Those who are believers. It has been given to us mega precious promises. I don't think I'm twisting that to, to say it in that way because it helps us with our understanding. These aren't just, oh, these are, these are some pretty nice promises. or it's, it's a pretty sweet sentiment. No, no. These are megaly precious promises. It's not good English, but it's good theology. He's given us these promises. And what's that promise? Well, it says that we can be partakers of the divine nature. Do we get that this morning? It's not just the fact that Jesus Christ can save you, but that he can also make you a partaker of the divine nature through salvation. That's a promise. See, Paul talked about this in Galatians 4, verses 5 through 7, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. By being saved, by being born again, we become part of the family of God. Now, some people could say, I belong to a pretty messed up family. Don't raise your hands. Some of them might be sitting in this room, so don't, don't raise your hand. But do you realize this morning that if you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you're part of the family of God? That's a precious promise. That's a, that's a mega precious promise that you've got in your life today. One commentator put it this way, this is a remarkably generous and loving God. He could rescue us from hell without even inviting us to be partakers of the divine nature. It shows how deeply God loves us and wants to share his life, indeed, even the divine nature with his people. 
Do you realize he could have saved us without making us part of the family of God? But he desires that intimacy. He desires that closeness. He desires that fellowship. That the God of the universe, no, no, listen. The God of the universe wants you to be part of the family. No, I'm not, this isn't abstract. I'm not talking about someone else. I'm talking about you. He wants you. Yeah, you. You know you. Maybe you say, me? You know who knows you better than you? God. And he still desires you to be part of the family. That's a precious promise. Precious faith. And a precious promise. This is a God who has been abundant to us far beyond any calculation of which we can consider abundance. Do you realize how abundant God has been to you and to me? In the last week or two, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Cuban, sold a large part of that uh, NBA team. And after he sold the team, he made an announcement that he was going to give $35 million worth of bonuses to all of his employees. It was going to be calculated by how long they worked for the company and the position that they had, but $35 million. Now listen, you know, I'm a Baptist preacher, so I guess I'm judgmental, but still, follow me for a second. That was a joke, okay? I'm just kidding. Um, some of you are saying, really? Uh, I mean, th- I- I'm not saying that's nothing. I mean, he didn't have to do anything. $35 million to, to employees, you know, many of which, you know, would take tickets or sell popcorn or uh, work, you know, in a ticket office. I mean, that, that's not nothing. Certainly, there's some generosity that's there. But in this article that I have here from uh, ESPN.com, What's buried all the way at the end of the article was that he sold the team for $3.5 billion. Now, first of all, a basketball team being worth $3.5 billion boggles the mind. But that's not what I'm preaching about this morning. The world would look at a Mark Cuban and say, that's incredibly generous. And in some ways, it is. But he was giving away 1% and was going to have to live on the rest of that $3.4 billion and change. Poor Mark Cuban. How's he going to survive? Uh, now, there is some sarcasm there. I, I will allow that. But what I'm saying is he gave in such a way, and I'm not saying that he had to give anymore. I'm just saying that he gave in such a way he won't even notice that it's gone. That's a rounding error on a spreadsheet for him. As wonderful as that generosity is, And as much as the world applauds that, can I present to you one who literally gave all? Jesus Christ. Jesus gave it all. All to him I owe. When sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. When the world looks at generosity and the world says, wow, this is great, this is wonderful. No one has ever given up more than Jesus Christ. No one has ever given up more than the Father when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. No one has been more generous in desiring to make us part of the family and to reconcile us back to him. There is no one more generous with these precious promises than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if you're saved today, you have that promise in your life. It's exciting. You know, there's so much here that it's, it's hard to even know where to begin. But I do want us to consider this this morning in, in the final moments of this portion of the message. The divinity of Christ allowed us to obtain precious faith. 
We saw that in verse 1. Then the precious promises allow us to partake in that divine nature. That's verse number 4. But that's not all. Look at verse number 3. It says this. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Do you realize it's the divine power that brought us salvation? It's, it's that precious promise that brought the, the, what was called the divine nature to us as believers. And if that was all He ever gave us, we could praise Him the rest of our lives and never fulfill all of the wonderful ways that He's blessed us. But do you realize that we see here, not only has He given us these precious promises, not only has He given us precious faith, according to verse number 3, He's given us everything else. He's given us everything else. According as His divine power hath given unto us, how many things? Okay, I'm going to try that again. You, you, come on, you've got to help me out, all right? He's given unto us all things. And the main part of all things is the word all. He gave us salvation. And if that was all He gave us, we could praise Him the rest of our lives. He's given us the divine nature to be part of His family. And if that's all He gave us, we could praise Him the rest of our lives. And if that wasn't enough, He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's the God that we serve today. Amen. That's the God that Peter served. That's why Peter felt privileged to call himself servant before he called himself an apostle. You know what he was saying? I want to speak not of my own accolades. I want to speak of my Savior. Because to be a servant means he's under a master. And it's very clear who that master is. It's Jesus Christ. The bottom line is that our faith is an unspeakable treasure. And this is where I want to get to with this today in looking at all of these things. How abundantly blessed we have been. Our faith is an unspeakable treasure. But yet faith doesn't end the day of salvation. It just begins. For many, faith is just this thing that they put on a shelf. They look at it every once in a while. When the guests come over, say, look over here. Do you see what I have? I have faith. No, th that's what we do with things in our house that we're really proud of. I mean, we don't have any of those things in our house because our kids keep breaking them. But if we had those things, um, <laughs> if we had those things, that's we, look at this over here. here. Here's something I want you to see. It's my faith. Like it's something on a wall. When faith is something that is to be exercised. Faith is something that's to grow. Faith is something that's to be added to. That's, that's God's desire for your life. Is not just to say, well, I have faith like I have this accolade I received from work. It's a certificate. No, it's so much more than that. It's something that's to be added to. It's something that begins the day of salvation. And, and, and through that, He has given us everything that we need to succeed in this Christian life 
to grow our faith. I mean, let, let's, we've been talking about a lot of abstract concepts in some way in the sense that I'm, I'm not saying that, that this is abstract in and of itself, but what I'm saying is there's been no application. Let's get down to where we are this morning. Some of you are struggling right now. You know how I know that? So I'm looking at a room full of people. Some of you are struggling. Some of you are struggling physically with your health. Some of you are struggling financially. You, you, you're having some real financial problems and some real decisions that you're going to have to make within the next few months. Some of you are struggling physic, uh, spiritually. There's sins in your life that you know are stumbling blocks. There's something that you have tried to quit over and over and over again. Could be a difficulty in a marriage, a relationship. You're not sure exactly what's going to happen. But do you realize, according to what we see here, that His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, what we realize is this. He's given you what you need for your marriage to grow in love and even to help bring your spouse to Jesus Christ. He's given you those things. It's all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given you access to what you need. He, he's given you what you need to quit smoking or quit drinking or quit gambling or other sinful habits. He's given you what you need, all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given you what you need to have a healthy devotional life of Bible reading and prayer, even if you've given up a dozen times before. He's given you what you need to be able to help. By the way, I just read this a few days ago. This is interesting, a quote from a pastor. He said this, one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. I'm going to run that back through again because that deserves another thought. One of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Amen. Meaning that we got time to have a walk with God. A lot of times we use it for other purposes. By the way, this pastor said this in 2009. In the infancy of those. <laughs> Can you imagine? But he's given you what you need to be able to grow. By the way, in your knowledge. It says it right there in the verse. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. He's given you what you need to not live in crippling fear or discouragement from day to day. He's given you what you need. He's given you what you need to be the right kind of parent. He's given you what you need to be the right kind of grandparent. He's given you what you need to be the right kind of child. He's given you what you need for all of these different issues. He's given you what you need. Here's what we've got to do. We need to recognize how precious these promises are, how precious our faith is. We realize that He's given us all things, and what we need to do is say this, it's time to add to my faith. It's time to start adding to my faith. See, the problem is that we have access to the power for all things. But we've got to be a ready channel for that power. See, he wants the power of all things to flow into you. But we have to have the right channel to be able to do so. I mentioned a computer problem a few days ago. I took it to the Apple store for a diagnosis. And believe it or not, they wanted money. I mean, there's a surprise. Um, and they said the battery is bad. It's going to need a repair. I said, well, how long is that going to take? They said seven days. And uh, I can't because I'm leaving town. And so I can't, can't do that. And so uh, the, the computer was just acting, acting crazy. It says my, my, I was plugged in and I wasn't. 
uh, I would plug it in for hours and hours, and as soon as I unplugged it, it was like there was no power coming into it at all. It was just, it was a mess. And unfortunately, a lot of what I do, I do on a computer, whether it's looking at study materials, writing notes, uh, different things like that, making videos or, or, or whatever it is, graphics. Uh, there's a lot that deals with the computer. Well, I took the computer back home, and in a last-ditch effort, I changed the cord. The same type of cord, I just got a new cord. You know, the cord that I had in the past was older, it was kinked up, I bought it from Amazon, and those $4 cords seem really alluring until you use one. And you know what happened? There was just enough juice coming through that old cord to keep it alive, but not enough for it to run. I got the new cord, it's still fresh, it's back there right now. And you know, as soon as I plugged it in, that thing zipped up and it was off. Like nothing ever happened. But I was just barely getting along with what I had before. All right, let's, can we, can we make a, a, an application? There's some of you here that are believers. You know Jesus Christ, your Savior, and you're just getting by. You're just barely making it. Let me just be real with you right now. That was never God's intention for your life. I'm just getting by. You say, well, you don't know what circumstance I'm going through. Put your circumstances off to the side. You say, that's not the way life works. I seem to read in the Bible that God says we can have joy in our life despite circumstances. And I'm not diminishing your circumstances. I don't know what you're going through. If I heard what you're going through, it might bring me to tears. It, it, it might make me weep for you and what you're dealing with. I'm not diminishing what you're going through at all. But I'm saying this, as far too many Christians are just getting by. And that's it. They're hanging on from week to week. They're barely making it. When was that ever God's intention for your life? He's given you precious faith. Exceeding precious promises. And if that wasn't enough, He gave you all things. All things that pertain to life in God. So is the issue Him? I'm going to turn around and say this because some of you are looking at me kind of funny. Is the issue him or is the issue us? Okay, see, I wasn't looking at anybody when I said that, but now I'm looking at all of you, all right? I think we know the answer. Listen up, I'm almost done. The issue is us. The cord isn't connected properly. What is that? Sin gets in the way. Unrepentant sin faithlessness, because remember faith is something that's not just a thing on a shelf, it's something that needs to be exercised, and we just don't believe God can. Pastor, I'm in such a financial strait, I, I, don't, I, don't, know, I don't know what can happen. Well, I imagine it probably wouldn't bankrupt God to help you. No, I'm not trying to be sarcastic about it, I'm just saying God can help you. His resources are far beyond anything that ever be estimated. We just need to trust Him. All things, all things. I want to leave you with this. Look at what it says in verse number five. Everything we've seen so far is great, isn't it? Precious. 
The word precious keeps coming up. The word divine keeps coming up. It's all, all things. It's like it can't get any better. But I'll leave you with three words in verse number five. And beside this, there's more to come. Every time you looked and thought it couldn't get any better, precious faith, it can't get any better. Divine nature, it can't get any better. All things, it can't get any better. And beside this, you know, when we submit ourselves to God and the process he has for us, I could put it to you this way, you've not seen anything yet of what God wants to do in your life. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.